So we wrap up our series, The Sign of the Times, today, and we start our new Christmas series next week. What I'm going to share with you today may be a little bit new to many of you, uh, and if so, that's okay. I just ask you to hear me out. When it comes to eschatology and the study of the last times and the events that are surrounding these last days, there are many differences in opinion. I have studied this topic for over 30 years. I have stacks and stacks and stacks of books on this one topic. And I think when I leave the office at night, those books all fight together, you know, uh, in the office. They, you know, really gifted people uh, that study these things and that don't always agree. And, uh, uh, you know, I've been studying this for a long time, and, and I'm going to share with you what I think, how I see things playing out. But can I just say no one knows for sure except God? Amen? None of us know for sure. I'm going to share a lot of scripture with you today so that we can compare scripture with scripture. And at the end of the day, you need to study God's word for yourself. And then you need to decide what you believe. Do not take what I say or what your favorite author says or what your favorite TV preacher says or what your pastor up north says or what anybody else says as an absolute right answer. Because... Because quite frankly, this is a very complex topic and it's important that you do your own study, that you, you are willing to be well-rounded in your study, be willing to read opposing views to hear uh, different positions. Too often, we study in an echo chamber only reading people who agree with what we want the answer to be. And uh, I think it's important that we that we study all sides so that we really understand, hey, what do I really believe? I hope that when you leave here today, you'll leave here sober, hopeful, and with a resolve to be faithful to God no matter what. Now, if you've missed any of the previous sermons in this series, I recommend you go back to our website uh, where you can, you can download those and see those. You can see them on YouTube. Last week, I talked about the abomination of desolation when the Antichrist goes into the rebuilt Jewish temple and then demands to be worshipped. And then what follows the abomination of desolation is called uh, a time of great tribulation. Now, there are several different perspectives on what the church is going to be doing during these last days. One perspective is that the church will be gathered together in the clouds in an event known as the rapture prior to this time of tribulation. Uh, therefore, the church will not experience uh, the great tribulation or any of the sealed judgments that are found in the book of Revelation. So this is known as a pre-trib or pre-tribulation rapture position. There's a second position that says the church is going to go through about half of the uh, first week, uh, the 70th week of Daniel uh, that we talked about last week, and then it will be raptured out, but they're going to miss uh, the, they're going to miss the great tribulation and, and, and the things that happen in the back half of the 70th week of Daniel. This is called the mid-trib position. And then a third perspective says that we're going to go through the, the great tribulation and then be raptured at the end of the great tribulation when Christ returns. And so this position is sometimes called a post-trib or a pre-wrath position. And there, th these are the three most common, but there are even more positions out there. Uh, I, I've read so many books in this topic. I've listened to so many different preachers. I've studied many different theologians and scholars. I've listened to them discuss, debate, and debunk each other's positions. 
And, and I've come to the conclusion that what I have to do is I have to go with my gut. I have to go with, after I've read it all, prayed about it, asked the Holy Spirit to, to, to lead me in what, what I should know and believe to be the truth. And that's what I have to do. And I'm going to say that that's what you probably need to do as well. You need to, you need to know what you believe. And what I read, and as I study what Jesus says, I believe that we need to have a faithfulness that will stand all the way through the difficult days prior to his return. I'm not convinced that that believers will be raptured out prior to the 70th week of Daniel. And I hope I'm wrong. I've never wanted to be wrong on something more than this. But I think Jesus made it pretty clear that we need to be ready to stand against the evil in these final days. Now, I think that the church will be protected in and through the times of tribulation, just as Noah was protected through the flood, not from the flood, right? You know, he was put in a boat and he was protected, but he wasn't removed from the earth while the judgment happened. He was just protected through it. I think that the church uh, may experience uh, and will experience God's grace in these times of trouble, uh, which will allow us to stand strong. And so we're going to study what Jesus had to say, and we're going to look at the book of Revelation. We're going to see what Paul said in Thessalonians. But let's start by picking up where we left off last week in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24. We'll begin reading in verse 15. Jesus speaking, he says, So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And God, these good folks have come today to hear from you, not from me. And so, Father, I pray that as we read your word, that your word and your Holy Spirit would speak to their hearts. And God, that you would, you would, you would show them what you would have them to know and, and see here today. I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to the truth uh, that you would have us to know. And so, Father, we just commit this time to you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak and, uh, God, that you would, you would have your will and your way in this place today. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes the enemy uses implements of torture in an attempt to get followers of Christ to abandon their faith in God. In the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, who we discussed last week, many, many evil Devices were used to inflict pain upon Christians. He would scalp, cut, burn, impale, sawn too, and do many terrible things to get people to deny God. And through the centuries, Christians have faced numerous evils trying to get them to deny their faith in God. In America, it seems as if the enemy has changed his tactics, and instead of using pain to get people to deny God, he uses pleasure, money, 
sex, power, and fame have caused countless people to walk away from God. But in the last days, the Antichrist will revert to his torturous ways and he will inflict great tribulation on those who deny him and instead choose to follow Christ. I think it's called the great tribulation, not because the suffering is going to be worse than what others have suffered over the last 2,000 years, but because there will be no place to get away from it. It will be a worldwide persecution of believers. Continuing, Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 22, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. What does that mean? It means when you see vultures circling, then you know that there's a dead carcass there. It's going to be obvious. And his point is, when, when Jesus comes, it's going to be obvious. Whether you, he comes in the east, you're going to see it across the sky. So, so don't get deceived by those who say, oh, the Messiah is over here in this room, or oh, he's out here in this wilderness. So be careful, don't fall for that. Here's how Jesus is gonna return. It will be in the sky. So what did Jesus tell his disciples to do if they were alive during the great tribulation? Well, in essence, he said, run for the hills. Keep your faith in God, but you don't need to wait aimlessly for the enemy to attack. I want to be faithful to Jesus. I want to be here sharing the gospel as long as I possibly can. And if I die, I die. But I'm not going to simply give up. Lord willing, I will stand and I will fight for the gospel until my dying breath. And hopefully you share the same sentiment. But I want you to know that I think there is something worse than death. And that is denying Christ. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26. He said, do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Look, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He says, don't be afraid of anyone who can kill the body. Rather, you should have a reverence, a fear of God, because he's the one who determines whether we spend eternity in heaven or in hell. Perhaps you think to yourself, well, preacher, why would God allow his people to face and endure pain and suffering? Why would he allow those he loves to go through tribulation? Well, I think we find the answer in, in Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, verse nine. He replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the end of time. Listen. Many will be purified, made spotless, and refined, 
but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of 1,335 days. As you go, go your way till the end. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. The sermon series I did prior to this one was, was, control, was called Control Burn. And we talked about how the fact that God uses pain, God uses tribulation. He uses these to, to, to try us, to, to purify us. And that's exactly what Daniel says here is happening uh, in the time of the abomination of desolation, which occurs at the midpoint of the 70th week of Daniel, which is the time period that we're talking about. And he says, many will be purified, made spotless, and refined. This is going to be a time when he is going to sift and sort true believers from those who have been followers in name only. From the seed that has fallen on shallow ground as opposed to that seed which has found good, good soil and grows. In the end, he says here, he promises rest. At the end of these troubling times, there's a period of rest where we will share in our inheritance. And I'm looking forward to that time of rest and I'm looking forward to that time of reward. But that doesn't mean there isn't gonna be a time of testing, a time of tribulation prior to that. So what is it that will end this terrible time of tribulation for followers of Christ? I believe it will be the rapture that occurs at Christ's second coming. So what is the sign that we should be looking for immediately prior to Christ's return? Remember, that was the question that started the entire discussion here, the Olivet Discourse, at the beginning of Matthew chapter 24. Remember in Matthew 23, they'd been walking around, Jesus had thrown the money changers out of the temple, and he'd been teaching, and then, and then they said, wow, just look at this temple, and it's incredible, and then, and then they went into you know, the Mount of Olives, and they sat down, and it was just them and Jesus, and, and, and he said, listen, oh, everything that you see here is going to come crashing down. This temple is going to come crashing down, there won't be stone, one stone left on the other, and they're like, tell us more? What's going to be the sign that this is going to happen? What's going to be the sign of the end of the age? What's going to be the sign of, of your coming? And that's when, that's when Jesus began the Olivet Discourse and began to roll this all out. And then they asked, what is the sign? And I told you it wasn't signs. It was, what is the sign of your return? And now Jesus is answering that question when we get to verse 29. It says, immediately after this, the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the son of man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. So we see here, Jesus says, when the sun is darkened, when the moon fails to give us light, when the stars begin to fall from the sky, then look to heaven because Jesus is about to return. As you know, John also had a vision of the last days. It's recorded in the book of Revelation. And John's 
vision was a picture of the future uh, of what was going to happen, and in, in, in specifically in the end times. Uh, in Revelation chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8, he had a vision of a scroll that had seven seals on this scroll. And the only one who could open these, these seals was Jesus. So we read in these chapters where Jesus, one by one, opens these seals. Now I want to compare Jesus opening these seals in Revelation 5, 6, 7, and 8 with what Jesus just taught the disciples in Matthew chapter 24, because I think you're going to see that these are speaking of the exact same event. So the first seal is the appearance of the Antichrist. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. John writing, he says, I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. So we see the Antichrist is going to come and he's going to make himself look like Christ. He's going to be riding a white horse. He's going to be wearing a crown. He's coming with power. But remember, Jesus warned the disciples about this in Matthew 24, verse 5. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. The Antichrist will put on a tremendous show. He will demonstrate great power and he will convince many people that he is the Messiah. That's what scripture says. Now we see the second seal being opened in, in verses chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Revelation, when the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse came out, a, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. Well, let's remember, what did Jesus say in the Olivet Discourse? Matthew 24, verse 6, it says, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Now, we've been living in a time when we've been regularly hearing about world wars, cold wars, civil wars, revolutionary wars, border conflicts, terrorism, and it goes on and on. And this will continue to escalate until Christ returns and then leads the battle that will make every other war that has ever happened on this planet seem small. Warfare sets the stage for the third seal, Revelation 6, 5. It says, when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. I looked and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages. And do not damage the oil and the wine. So of course here he's talking about food shortages and famine. What did Jesus say? Matthew 24 verse 7. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. If you look in a parallel passage, uh, Luke records the same thing in Luke chapter 21 verse 11. It says there will be great earthquakes, famine, pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Earthquakes, volcanoes, hurricanes, storms, cosmic disturbances. At the end of the day, the earth itself is being shaken to the core. This is going to affect the food supply. The lack of food is going to usher in a need for food control. It's going gonna, it's gonna to create the situation where, the, where the, the Antichrist is going to 
require people to take the mark of the beast in order to buy and sell. Now, at this point in his teaching, Jesus stops to give this whole period that I've just described here uh, a name. And he calls this the beginning of birth pains. Matthew 24, verse 8. All these are the beginning of birth pains. These events take place in the first three and a half years of the 70th week. Then we end up at the midpoint of the 70th week, and this is when the Antichrist goes into the Jewish temple and demands to be worshipped and requires everyone to take the mark of the beast in order to buy and sell. And then this ushers in the fourth seal. Again, back to Revelation chapter 6, verse 7. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was falling close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When the fourth seal is opened, unimaginable horrors will take place because death and Hades is unleashed on the earth. It will be a time of unprecedented destruction. Now, Jesus warned his disciples, Matthew 24, verse 9, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. The Antichrist is filled with anger and rage because he knows his time is short. And so he wages war against God and God's people. We see this in Revelation 12, 12. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Now notice, it's the wrath of Satan here. Satan is the one who is mad. Satan is the one who is unleashing all of this destruction on the earth. And he's causing this pain. Who do you think Satan wants to destroy? Followers of Christ. And we get to Revelation chapter 6 verse 9. We see the fifth seal. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. This, my friends, is the period that's known as the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation is not seven years long. The 70th week of Daniel is, 70, uh, is seven years long. The Great Tribulation is a period of time within the 70th week of Daniel. That's what scripture says. The fifth seal here shows the full fury of the Antichrist as it's unleashed upon those who are followers of Christ. And we see here this, these people, and they were killed because of the word of God and their testimony. They were killed for following Christ. Sadly, many will not stand for Christ in that day. Many will not stay true to God. Christ said in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, 10, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. 
Matthew 24, 12, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. So here we see the Antichrist persecuting to the point of death those who refuse to worship him. And here is where I see God fulfilling his promise to the faithful church. Revelation 3.10, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Now, I don't know how he's going to do this, but it seems as if God will protect those who have kept his word and who have not compromised their belief. Just as he protected Noah through the flood, I believe that in some way he will protect his faithful church through the time of testing. I do not believe that a Christian will ever come under the wrath of God. Only persecution by the Antichrist. Now next we see the sixth seal. And this is the sign that initiates the day of the Lord. Revelation 6 verse 12. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth. As figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Now, you should recognize the language in that passage because it directly mirrors the passage that I read with at the very beginning in the Olivet Discourse. Matthew 24, verse 29. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and heavenly bodies will be shaken. That is exactly the same language and same thing that was described here in Revelation chapter 6. They're talking about the same things. So, what is the sign that immediately precedes the day of the Lord, the second coming, and the rapture of the church? It is the comic, the cosmic disturbance that Jesus talked about, the revelation warned about, that the Old Testament prophet Joel talked about in Joel chapter 2, verse 31. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. We see this over and over. We see it in Isaiah as well. So according to Christ, what then takes place immediately following the sun being darkened and all these other cosmic disturbances? Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. This sounds like what Paul said in his letter to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. 
replacing the rapture immediately prior to the seventh seventh seal perfectly harmonizes with God's promise to deliver the church before his wrath begins. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 They tell you how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Jesus rescues us from the wrath that is then coming, right? The wrath of God that gets poured out at the day of the Lord, after the second coming, after the rapture of the church. First Thessalonians 5, 9, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. If we continue reading in Revelation, we see that right after the sixth seal, what do we see? Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, not just Israel and not just Jews, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes, were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice salvation belongs to our God who sits in the throne and to the lamb so the question is who is this mass of people that no one could count all wearing white praising God in a loud voice from all these different nations tongues and languages who are these people that's a great question let's see what it says verse 13 then one of the elders asked me these in white robes who are they And where did they come from? Verse 14, I answered, sir, you know, he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Verse 15, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I believe that this group of people can be none other than those raptured from the earth following the intense time of testing I think this is the church. This, these people are the followers of Christ. Now, I know for many of you, this is probably not what you have been taught through the years. And, and I am well aware of that. Uh, I was taught that the church would be raptured prior to the tribulation. I understand that position. I've studied that position. I've taught that position. But as I have studied further and longer, if, if I'm going to be true to what I understand the scripture to say, if I'm going to be faithful to my calling to teach you the word of God, I have to teach it the way I see it and the way I understand it. Those holding a pre-tribulation position will assert that this mass of people are people who got saved after the first rapture but before the second rapture, because the pre-trib position requires two raptures, one before the 70th week of Daniel, and then one after the 
uh, great tribulation. And unfortunately, I don't see that in scripture. I don't see this two rapture scenario. Now, <clears throat> I am willing to admit that I may be wrong. But here's my question to you. Are you willing to say the same thing? Are you willing to consider that what you've believed might be wrong? I'm not saying it is. I'm saying, are you willing to consider that it might be? What you've heard me teach in this short series, I'm hoping has gotten you to think, will spur you to pray, and cause you to consider another perspective. I hope that it has challenged you to study this topic further. And I hope you will study this issue for yourself, that you will compare scripture to scripture and that you will read outside of your echo chamber and that you will consider positions other than the position that you hold. If your position is correct, then you will only come out more convinced and with greater assurance. At the end of the day, this is a complex topic with great thinkers, great pastors, and great scholars holding each one of these positions. And I just want you to study it for yourself so that you can be settled in your mind. Because at the end of the day, we're dealing with, out of thousands and thousands of years, we're dealing with a, about a seven year period. And where exactly in relation to this seven year period does the rapture happen? Does it happen here, here, or here? And there are just really good arguments that you can make for any one of those positions. But my point to you today is whether it is pre-mid or post or pre-wrath, the important thing for you to take away today is the fact that Jesus is coming back. He will return. He made that promise. There are more promises uh, and more prophecies concerning his second coming than there were regarding his first coming in Bethlehem. He's coming back. And everything that we've just described here is going to happen. And we may not be able to get the exact nuance of when exactly this and that and the other thing is going to happen. But it's so important that we are ready. Whether Jesus could come in the twinkling of an eye, whether Jesus could come back at this very moment, or whether Jesus is going to come back after the midpoint of the seventh week of Daniel, it, what matters is the fact that the reality is we could be alive for either one of those. And we need to be ready. So my question to you is, are you ready? Are you ready if Jesus did come back today? Are you ready if he did choose to call his church home? A day is coming. The condition of your soul is of far greater importance than the exact timing of the rapture of the church. I hope that this study, and I realize this was almost more of a teaching than a preaching here today, but had to, had to be done. Um, I hope that it has caused you to think and ponder and that you will earnestly consider, hey, am I ready?
And you know what? If I am called to go through difficulty, is my faith strong enough to, to carry me through a time of tribulation? Is my faith in God strong enough if I were called? You know, there are people this very day who are being martyred. There are this, this very day people around the world who are being beaten and injured and hurt because of their faith in Christ. The, the New Testament is clear. In this life, you will have tribulation, but fear not, I have overcome the world. God didn't promise us that we're going we're gonna to live in a tribulation-free period, that we'll never experience it. We're going to experience tribulation. Many of you have experienced tribulation. You've been through some incredibly painful things. And we may face more pain in the future. And if indeed we happen to be the generation that's alive when many of these events happen, it's going to happen on a grander scale than probably many of us have ever thought possible. But I know this, I want you to be ready. The good news is if I'm wrong and the rapture happens first, hakuna matata, you know, we're, we're great. We all go to heaven. Pastor Tim was wrong. You can see me in heaven. You say, you were wrong. And I'll say, yeah, you're right. And I'm okay with that. Perfectly fine with that. But if what I see in scripture happens, I want you to be ready spiritually, mentally, and physically for what we may face if indeed we are still here when the events of the 70th week of Daniel begin to play out. And as we see the, the condition of the world and the news, as we see what's happening in Israel, I mean, the, what's happening in Israel is certainly the kind of thing that you would expect to happen prior to these things happening. So I think it's prudent that we be, we be wise, that we pray, that we consider, that we not just bury our head in the sand, but we give serious consideration to what is going on in the world and at least make sure that we're ready spiritually, mentally, and physically. If you're here this morning and say, well, how exactly does one prepare? You prepare spiritually by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. By trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If there's never been a time when you've put your faith in Jesus, where you've asked him to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you from the things that you've done wrong, where you've put your, your hope of heaven not on your works or your church or your religion, but you put it solely on the fact that Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross to pay for your sins, that he was, that he was buried and that he rose again, proving that he was God. See, my friends, that is the gospel. That is the good news. That is what we put our faith in. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the only door to heaven. He is the only way that we will spend eternity with God is by putting our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. And when we put our faith in Christ, we become part of his church, part of his family, part of his bride. And we are special. And there are special things he does for us and special protections that I believe he does give us even when we go through difficult times. We have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God to comfort and guide and help us. But like thousands of martyrs, millions of martyrs before us, the day may come when we may need to stand for Christ against evil. 
and I, I want you to be prepared. So if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ, I encourage you to do so. Trust in Jesus, put your faith in him. I'm gonna lead in a prayer and if you'd like to pray this prayer with me, uh, it's not my prayer that's gonna save you, it's your prayer. It's between your heart and the heart of God. But you say, well, if somebody could kind of lead me a little bit or kind of show me what to do, I'd, I'd do that. And I'm gonna do that here for you in just a moment. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, I encourage you to pray with me in just a moment. If you're here today and, and uh, uh, you know you're saved, but what I've said is, has rattled you, is, is kind of shaken you a little bit, then just, just pray and say, God, help me to know what's right. Open my eyes, my ears, my heart to the truth. Help me to know God and ask him to reveal to you. And you study for yourself and you figure out what you believe. Amen. Let's pray. If you'd like to pray to receive Christ, would you just pray this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I've done so many things wrong. And for that, God, I am sorry. I have broken your Ten Commandments. I've lied, I've stolen, taken the Lord's name in vain, disobeyed my parents. I've done so many things wrong, God. I pray that you'd forgive me. I believe Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross, that he was buried, and that he rose again. I believe that Jesus took my place and paid the price so that I could spend eternity with you. The best I know how, God, I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm asking him to save me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And God, I pray that you'd help me to live for you till the day you call me home. May I be faithful and true. May I be a servant of you. I serve at your pleasure. God, would you use me to bring glory to you? Thank you, God, for saving me. In Jesus' name, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, no one looking around but me. If you're here this morning, you say, this is just between you and me. You say, Pastor, I just prayed that prayer to receive Christ. I'd like you to pray for me this week. Would you just slip your hand up all over the auditorium? Just put it up and put it right back down. God bless you and 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 you. And you, God bless you in the back. I see that hand in you. Heavenly Father, there's rejoicing in heaven whenever someone puts their faith in Christ. And God, today we rejoice with the angels in heaven over these who have prayed to receive Christ as their Savior. Oh God, we rejoice and we are so thankful and grateful for your love to us. God, I understand that these, these are difficult passages complex, confusing, sometimes very challenging. And yet, God, your, your gospel is so simple. You've made it so simple that we can just cry out to you in faith. And God, like all of these did this morning, that you will save them, forgive them, and cleanse them and make them children of God, part of your bride, your church. So God, we thank you this morning. 
May we be faithful to what you've called us to do, who you've called us to be, how you've called us to live. May we be faithful, God, until that day when you call us home or we are raptured out, whenever that happens. God, may we just bring glory and honor to you in all we do. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen.